is Kiki Rai, and you're listening to For the... listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves into the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or even game design. Joining Roger from WoW Dogs, and For the Lore is Joe, writer for World of Maticus, and Enrique of Spooncraft. Hello and welcome to For the Lore. This is Roger coming to you on Monday, the 14th of December. And joining me, same as usual, we've got Joe from WayOfTheTotem.com, as well as Enrique from Spooncraft.com. Welcome back, boys. Always good to be here. Yay, we're back. Indeed. Um, Just to start off with, I got to finish Dragon Age Origins. We're going to talk about this for a little bit here because we have to. Because... There's nothing else to start off with. Nothing else that's that's worth talking about. I mean, <laughs> it's just when you finish this game, if you don't cheer or feel absolutely elated, um, you're doing something wrong. You're it's it's got to be something that momentous. When you see the final cinematics and you're like, oh my fucking god, like. It's unbelievable, and I've been on that high since yesterday. I finished it yesterday, and um, yesterday or the day before. Anyways, okay, yeah, you know, you, was it yesterday? Day before. Was it? Day yes, before. because yesterday I started my, that's right. So, yeah, because I finished it, and I thought, okay, uh, as great as it was, I can put this on the back burner now and move on. There's other games that need my attention. What did I do instead? I started my Blood Mage. I I, I wasted that much time in between. I, I It just had to be, right now, I have to start it again. And uh, I started a, um, again, a female human Blood Mage, and then I played her for a little bit and then realized, well, if I do actually an elf blood mage, then I'll have different interaction with people. They'll treat me differently based on the fact that I'm an elf. So I'll add a little bit different as well. Tack on the being an asshole kind of thing. And that'll really make things different as well. So we'll go down that route. And then I started thinking, hold on. There's one thing I have not experienced in this game yet. And that is sexing somebody up. So I thought, screw it. I'm going to make a male elf mage and Morgan shall be mine. And so I thought, there you go, because I'm going to be some kind of evil bastard that she's going to dig that and want to get into my pants, and I'm all for that. So I thought, okay, well, I'll do that. And so I've been playing him now, and uh, and I put in quite a bit of time yesterday, and then today I was playing him as well. I've already got him up to seven, and I have been having a blast. And I mean, I just finished the game, and I'm already having a blast playing it Again, and I am already seeing the differences in gameplay and whatnot. So now, right away, peeps. I mean, the game's been out for a little while, so we don't really need to give spoiler warnings, but spoiler warning, okay? And anybody in the audience as well, spoiler warning. I'll be putting the chapter headings on the podcast so you can easily just skip past this. In that sense, and going along that line, though, it's not really so much a spoiler for this game because... 
me telling you how it ended for me is not necessarily going to be how it ends for you. The game nope. is that different in terms of your choices, again, having consequences in where the story goes, that it's not really a spoiler. Like, what happened to me won't necessarily happen for you. Like, case in point, when I was telling you, Joe, about it and saying, like, I know that as the new elf, he's going to be, or Blood Mage, he's going to be some kind of bastard that Alistar will not want to stick around. He is going to want to leave the party. I'm fully expecting that, but I anticipated that at least he would still be there at the end of the game because to me that seemed pretty iconic that he has to be there because in my version, he became king, even though he really did not want to. And And I could see as I was going along that it could go anyway because I could have easily made Anora the queen. Alistar didn't want to be king. Although, bitch boy, fucking numbnuts, whiny bastard son of a bitch, he actually is bitching about, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to. But then when you're at the, the, the lands meet and you've got Anora or him, Anora's already double-crossed you twice. At least she had for me because I tried to do the whole saving her thing as well. So she had the time to dr- double-cross me two or three times. And so when I'm... I have to make the choice at that point because I didn't have enough people at the lands meet backing us. So low gain won. Which again, there you go. Had I done a lot of different other things, then um, I would have had more people supporting me and then Logan wouldn't have even had the option of of being the the, the well Anora wouldn't have been kept her her queendom whatever the fuck you want to call it um so th- again there's so many different things but in my version that's what happened and so when I ask Alistar because you get the the option of talking to both of them to see let them essentially plead their case or whatever and when you ask him do you want to be king and he's saying well, let's see, she's already double-crossed us, and I can't remember if he said two or three times. No, of course I don't want her to be king. I want it. So you're like, okay, well, there you go. You know, he's bitched about it all along saying, no, I don't want it, but you just said you did. It's obvious you'd be better at it. Here, it's yours. We get back to the room, bastards bitching on me, saying, how could you do that to me? Points drop, he doesn't like me, and I'm like, I'm going, what the hell? Are you like, Sybil? What the hell's wrong with you? You just told me you wanted it. And here's where you can see where there there are still a limited amount of cinematics. Even though they have so many, it still is limited. So obviously that's something that's more a common statement that he makes when he comes back. But it just didn't fit. But anyways, all that to say, he then comes with me. We got the dragon dude, which I'm, I'm, I'm seriously trying to think of a cinematic that I've ever seen in game that was this epic. If you guys have not seen this cinematic yet, I'm sure you can find it on YouTube. Or, I mean, if you're playing the game, you will hopefully get to the same point. I have never seen a cinematic that fucking epic when you are fighting that archdemon, the dragon, at the end. All of it. From the other um, uh, uh, Grey Warden that's fighting with you. When he jumps off that fucking tower and lands on with his sword. and then It is like, oh my god. It was unbelievable. And then when the end cinematic too, when you, you, you kill it, if you choose to kill it, is unbelievable. And then what I'm thinking about, okay, well, when I'm going to play through evil now, how is that going to work with Alistair? And you're telling me he ain't going to be there. And I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, um, the you really touched on it. And that's what makes this game so 
friggin' awesome is the fact that it's there's so many different ways uh, that this game can go. There are so many different ways it can end. There's so many different party configurations. There's so many different interactions. And and as I'm I'm about to do lands meet on hard mode, which you know obviously I'm I've been banging my head against this thing for a while, and I can't wait to see how my version ends up compared to yours. Um, but it's just it's absolutely phenomenal just to see exactly how much your choices throughout the game uh really affect it and as they pointed out uh Simodian, uh pointed out that as well as several other people that Elster will only really leave the group um if you make one very massive decision um if you decide not to take Logan's head and decide to say hey you know what you you made a poor choice it's okay everything's cool let's go drink a pint and you can you know come join us Alistair's gone and he is gone gone i mean he just leaves he says fuck you i don't want any part of this you're a fucking douche uh, you know i was already set to do something that i didn't want to do because it's against you know everything i stand for but i was willing to do it for the good of Ferelden, and you do this to me i hope you fucking choke on archdemon blood and leaves and it's really 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 um awesome to see that that's a consequence because you, you take it for granted you interact with this character throughout you, you, you help him you know with his own personal background coming to grips with himself and, and you can be an asshole to him as much as you want but his duty to as a gray warden and as a templar keeps him going with you and it's it's nice to see that there's something so big that it will make him forget his duty and that's kind of like um the character depth that all of these characters have um Another great example of this is when you're talking about um, Shale. Shale's another great example of it. This is a character that people don't really pay a lot of attention to as far as personality-wise goes. Take Shale with you when you're going to the uh, to mm. the Ozomar, oh. and it's the interactions as you go, as it changes, particularly between him and Wynn, of all things, is phenomenal. I'm sorry, I won't ruin it, but between Shale and Wynn is phenomenal, and just this warming up that he had that the golem has to the party and it's as you talk to it as you uh converse with it as you give it gifts as you you know just interact with it in general you just see it warming up and it gives you things like you're not like all the other fleshlings on the surface what the hell are you you know things like that and it's and it's nice to see that there's this depth of character in there and shell there's a point in the game where you can honestly make shell try to kill you as well there's a breaking point for every character in this game every character has a breaking point there's one where um uh, eliana the the rogue will try to kill you and you know you can you can have a hundred reputation with you you could give her every gift you find you could sex her up and she will still try to fucking kill you if you make one horrible decision and, and that's awesome. ashes yes <laughs> um but i mean but i mean it, it's nice to see that there are breaking points the only one that i don't think you can drive away is the dog that's it. See, that's the thing, too. Again, I've been trying to build the party now based on pure evil. And that really has a big impact on your party as well as what what uh, talent trees you're going to take and whatnot, too, specializations. Because um, it, it, it really is a lot harder, actually, to go pure evil because the game really practically forces you to be good. Um, for certain progressions, you have to b pick eventually the answer that is the decent one. So even though you are playing as this badass character, eventually you have to come to grips with, and, and it would be the same in in reality where in there's something far greater than your um your bitchiness here okay <laughs> back the bus there's 
there's there's something way important here that we have to deal with as as a group um so it is uh it's a lot more difficult i've actually been reading that online as well where people are saying like a lot of the characters that you bring in are going to leave or their reputations are going to go down so low that you're you're cooked case in point win which is the best healer you can have even if you go spirit healer she's the best healer you can have but if you're going evil and you're a blood mage forget it you're not going to be able to keep her so well, i mean that's i'm having to plan my entire party around that it's 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 much more difficult and i'm glad that alistair actually doesn't leave however i did have the plan uh, this time around that shale is going to be my tank right through that's that's my plan although i just got um sven yes i just got sven, sven. i didn't have him before on my first playthrough i pff, I didn't know where he was. I didn't find everybody. So I found Sven and Stan. Stan? Sven. Stan. Stan, yeah. yes. So I found the, Stan. The yeah, I rescued him. So it's like, okay. So, but, um, but yeah, so I kept the dog around for a while because I know I can be the biggest fucking asshole in the world. Dog's still going to follow me. So <laughs> I kept him around for a little well, while. Here's, here's what one of my friends actually did. And there's, there's a big mod community. Um, yeah, I'm sorry, Quinari, Sam. I apologize. The Quinari. Um, <laughs> there, there's a there's a big mod community for the game too. And there's a, when they released the dev tools, a lot of people were releasing mods in order to make it easier to play an evil character. Um, particularly, as there's one NPC that can be added to the game through one of the community mods, and I can't remember the mod off the top of my head, but it allows you to respect your party. Uh, what you do is you go talk to the uh, to the NPC. You uh, interact with it a little bit and it gives you an option to completely redo all the talents uh, for your party. So at the end, when you only have five people to pull from, you can put them exactly as you need to in order to, to, to do the game uh, as, as an evil persona. And I understand that BioWare's, um, the way they wrote the script and everything, they do want to make it harder to play evil because honestly, it is harder to be evil in a lot of these games and settings. Um, but yeah, that, I mean, I, I just think it's interesting that the community has put this forth, and it's sanctioned by Bioware. They said it's okay, go for it, have it. So, uh, it, which is exactly what my friend did. When Sam said he, they switched Morgan to a healer. He, the, my friend hated Win. He absolutely hated her. Was trying every which way he could to get her killed or leave the party or whatever he needed to do. And he just he just wouldn't take her and he would just try to ruin the reputation and then he found the mod and was like oh sweet and i don't have to take her anymore fuck this and he just wanted the the hip young party so he's got uh sten <laughs> he's got his character which is a blood mage i believe no uh assassin elf assassin um he's got uh morgan and he's got uh crap i can't think of the last person he's got but it's pretty much the young hip party that you saw in the tv commercial for it and that's what he wanted he wanted like the scenester party so he got the scenester party and he was able to respect everything and he played through as an evil bastard i mean he did stuff like you know the options that you get to pick for like the sides that were like wow do i really want to do this and he's like fuck yeah and he went and go went and killed people and yeah it was good times and that's was, what it, i'm doing nice too to like I'm, I'm picking like the worst shit that you can pick and what i'm finding right off the bat is i'm making a lot more money I'm like, <laughs> so whenever they're saying, would you like a reward? And I used to say, because I was also high and mighty, say, no, no, your thanks is reward enough. I'm now it's like, fuck that. Yeah, give it to me. When I met up with the little dwarfs by the, um, in Lothering, where they, they got jacked up there and they're saying, would you like a reward? And I'm going, yeah. And then they say something and I said, 
you know what? Your cart is actually full of stuff unprotected. And they went, all right, fine. Here's 200 silvers. I was like, thank you. <laughs> so I've got all this cash now. It's fantastic. And like, <laughs> so I'm really enjoying that aspect at least. But, um, and I'm like just talking down to people too. And, and yeah, it's, <laughs> it's the interaction is so different i'm finding this time around so and it, i don't want to go the route of actually the mod i had read about the mod as well i don't want to go that far i've always found that depending on just how um how game altering the mod is i find it kind of ruins it for me if you make something too easy then i completely n lose interest and then i don't want to do it anymore i don't want to play the game anymore i found that with all the games i've ever played um, my son used to my eldest son used to love modding things to make them easier and i play around with it and it was immediate like i just i didn't have as much interest so i i don't mind it being a lot harder it's making me think it's making me plan way in advance so i've already planned out that my blood mage is actually going to be uh blood mage as well as spirit healer so i will be the healer for the group as well as dps it, yes it'll make it harder but we'll manage um and i'm gonna make sure that morgan morgan's gonna have to stick around for everything i mean she's gonna be my shorty too so it don't matter but um I she's, can't believe you just said that. Yeah, but she's going to be... Well, the irony is he's shorter than her. Um, but uh, I'm going to spec her in a very deep control spec so that she is the one that is making sure to keep everyone at bay as well. So again, it's making me really, really plan ahead. The only thing that I have been agonizing about um, is that the um, I, I still won't have a lock picker. Because Shale has been useless. Shale up to the end of the game on my <laughs> other mage has been useless. I think he literally only lockpicked a couple of boxes. Now I didn't um I didn't spec I didn't put a lot of points into cunning, which is what I would have had to do. But then if I'm putting lots of points into cunning and he is supposed to be my main tank, I'm really gonna be hurting. Because he's just not going to live as long. Um, so again, maybe that's where Stan will kind of jump in. But then my options for a log picker are... Lilana? What the... Eliana. It's not Eliana. It's Lilana's. I thought it was Eliana. Because it's an A, right? There it is. So her or Zev. Now I didn't had I didn't have Leliana when I in my first playthrough, so I don't know if she is she's good good at all. Zev is a pain in the ass, and the fucker dies all the time, and he couldn't lockpick anything anyways. So he had his chance. Screw that shit. Um, I don't so, know what you're doing wrong, but I've never had that problem with Zev at all. Well, again, and it he, could could be that he didn't have enough points into everything as well I, he was awesome. useless piece of shit i barely used him because he died all the time and i mean he's just i really found his bits fairly annoying actually so it, he just got on my nerves i didn't and, and the voice acting got on my nerves as well i really didn't enjoy him at all so and it's not that i mind annoying characters i mean fuck we still got rick on the podcast um <laughs> 
and I mean, Shale is sarcastic as shit and I love having him in my group. So that's the other thing too. I want to keep Shale and, and, and see everything with Shale throughout the whole game. Because like you were saying too, he did warm up to my mage actually. As I was talking to him later on, he was saying how he kind of liked her and different things like that. So it was fun to see that progression. So I, I do want to see that. And I, I want to keep Alistair out of the group too, just because he was a whiny bitch. He gets on my nerves, complains about everything. Although I will say you touched on one of my gripes about the game. Um, You're a party of badass adventurers. You've slayed demons and dragons and fought ghosts from the past. And you're whipping ass from one end of the country to the other. And you tell me you can't bash the lock off the chest. That's the one thing that bothers me about the game. Why can't I bash it open and have a chance to maybe damage what's inside of it? But seriously, I have to have a lockpicker to get everything. I, I don't like that. Everything else about the game is fantastic. And I love... Um, I love being able to customize the party like you're doing. It's yeah, like you said, it's going to be hard, um, but yeah, it's it's refreshing is really the best word I can really think of. It's an engrossing and refreshing story that really proves exactly how much you can tell through a video game. It really showcases the ability of uh, this media to be better than TV and movies uh, when it comes to telling an epic story. And like oh, you said it yourself, that, 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 that last cut scene at the end, um, I've, I mean, I've seen it, and it's just, I mean, it's mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing to put this, that they put uh, that much time into it uh, that it's just so beautiful. Well, it's and, not... Uh, I've been talking to the the wife about this for a little, a little while now. Like we read a lot in in the house. We obviously I write as well, and the kids read a ton. When when the wife takes the kids to the library, my my youngest, the twelve year old, comes back with like literally twenty two books in a backpack. Mm-hmm. And what I've been saying is that this game here is more so than a lot of the other games. The story in it is absolutely unbelievable unbelievable and it's not that you are in a fast-paced shooter kind of game or whatever it's you're watching the cinematics you're having an impact on the story and things like that it's this unbelievable story now if you if you are able to invest yourself that much in a game if you're that type of personality that can just let go and just really sink yourself into this game when you get to the end now the the um, the lands meet, which is before. I mean, I thought the other <laughs> parts were epic. Holy Christ! That 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 lands meet builds up so much, and you're like, holy Christ! And it's like just amazing that it is like there's so many different facets to it especially if you're doing the little side things going on at the same time if you're exploring the dungeons and you find the people in the dungeons as well and then and you're like holy crap in hell and in case in point i found the the sun down there i left the bastard there i said screw it you're not a nice person you're staying down there (laughs) you can rot in hell for all i care but there's so many different things so by the time you get through the lands meet which is for anybody who hasn't played the game or gotten that far, that's where all the Arls are meeting and the picture are lords and baronesses and all kinds of shit meeting and they're all deciding who they're going to back to be running the, 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 the country kind of thing. 
after you get through all of that and you're actually then having to deal with the Archdemon, the game by that point has built so much momentum. And I keep talking about it and telling people that it's it's an epic game. I know that term gets tossed around so much nowadays, especially because it's being used in games and everything else like that, where it's like epic doesn't have the same meaning anymore, but it it is epic on every scale and the definition of that is just when you're at a point where you think this must be done soon you realize holy shit there's still a crap load more to do just in this little section just in this little little bit it just keeps going and going and it doesn't just drag out it builds to this like it's like listening to an opera where it's building and building and building and building and when it finally gets to that fever pitch windows are going to break it's just unbelievable so when you get through the lands meet and by then you're fighting the archdemon and you got to make your way up the tower to the archdemon now you've already seen the cinematic with the um the other um the other gray warden which i don't know if he appears if you don't let him out again it's not a spoiler because he's locked up i let him out if i wouldn't have let him out well I don't know what would have happened at the game. Maybe I won't let him out on my evil bass, my my evil mage. But um, but anyways, yeah. So he when he jumps on that freaking thing with his sword, plunges it in. That whole cinematic does not get any more epic. You're like, oh my god. And when he falls to the ground, and you know now that he's not gonna be the one to take on the, the life force of the archdemon. You're like, you can see the look on your character's face. That like glum look of, oh my God, it's going to fall onto me now or whatever. And when you get to the end and then I, again, because I've been role playing my character as good all along, the noble thing for her to do was be the one that died at the end. Epic! It was fucking epic! And it's like the scene where she goes after it. You're going like, oh my God, look at her, look at her, look at her. And I was like, unbelievable. It was just so fucking cool. And then the whole thing afterwards as well. And it's like, it was just so well done. There's no, there's no point that I was thinking like they did something wrong or, Oh, this could have been better or whatever. It just, the whole thing, it was just epic. There's no other way to say it. So when people are talking about game of the year, if there was any doubt in my mind about it being game of the year for me, it would have been, just before I started getting really into the parts towards the end with the lands meet and everything. And I hadn't even finished the game. And at that point it was like, okay, all doubt in my mind is absolutely gone. This is, this is so beyond game of the year that I have to start contemplating whether or not this is the best RPG of the decade. That's how good this is. And, and you hit the nail on the head. I'm picky about my fucking games. If I'm going to spend money on a game, if I'm going to even, hell, even if I'm going to hack a game and download it, it better be damn good if I'm going to put any point of time into it. Um, and this game, it just, it floored me. It really did. I am so impressed with the story, the writing, the cinematics, the visuals, the gameplay mechanics itself, the way that you build your characters, the way every aspect of this game aside from breaking open locks is fan- <laughs> is fantastic and it really does blow me away and i you know and i did have a a list of games that were contenders for game of the year and i had 
uh, probably four or five games on this list, and I have ripped up the list. It, I really have. There is no doubt in my mind that this is the game of the year for me. And whether people have uh, been able to play it or whether it's their cup of tea, it's fan-fucking-tastic. You feel epic at the end of it. You go through the game and you make these decisions. And it to me, it's like my first Dungeons and Dragons campaign when I'm sitting there and I have a very vivid imagination. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, oh my god, this is so fucking sweet. Oh my god, 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 oh my god. And yeah, then you have that moment right there. This game might be the RPG of the decade. I can't think of another RPG that comes even close. But yeah. yes. Yeah, we're gonna actually bang. gonna talk more about that next week as well as the week after, where we're gonna start talking about um, our picks for what we think game of the year is, as well as in different categories and things like that. As well as the week after, we're gonna touch on games of the decade. But uh, but it's quite obvious where my there I, there's nothing that's going to beat this for me. There's granted there's different categories that we're gonna talk about as well, so it's not gonna win in everything. But in terms of just playing game of the year. There's not going to be a surprise next week. I'm telling you right now, it's this game without a doubt. Now, that being said, there are um, a couple of news items for this. I'm just going to touch on a couple more things, Dragon Age Origins, and we'll go from there. Um, there is a Mac client that's going to be coming out. It was announced. So anybody who's playing on a Mac and who would like it, they are actually doing pre-orders right now with a couple of the online vendors. What I would like to see them do, which is what I actually told them on Twitter too, is show a little bit of class, do what Blizzard has been doing, and offer free Mac client downloads for anybody who paid for the PC version. I mean, you buy a lot of games now, the Mac and the Windows clients are on the same disc. This should mm -hmm. be that kind of thing. But we'll see what they do. The other thing, too, is you were talking about the modding, but one of the other things that you can do if you want to get a couple of bonuses in the game and that is perfectly legal and you're not actually modding anything, there are, in, in the same way that we got the pre-order bonuses with Shale and whatnot, um, there are certain pre-order bonuses or certain DLC bonuses that you can get and you can apply to your PC version of the game. Now there's some of them that will not work because on your screen it will say it's not compatible with your version of the game. Case in point, if you did not pay for the Stone Prisoner and Warden's Keep, regardless of the fact that you download it, it ain't going to let you install it. That being said, though, there's a bunch of them that you can actually apply to your game. You can download them. What I'm going to do is I'll post the link on uh, in the show notes so you guys can get them. It's very easy. You just have to run the um, DA up. What is it? DA updater. It's in the bin ship folder in the uh, install folder wherever you install your game. Now, from there, you can get yourself. There's a what is it? There's um, I think it's. I can't remember if the Dalish Promise Ring is a version thing or not, but yeah, you can. That's one of them. There's um, the a ring's dagger. Is it? It was uh, for those that pre-ordered on Steam. It was something that you should have had. No, there's a few different rings. There's a, I've got those two rings. That's the Wicked Oath They're, and the Memory Band. There's other ones. There's a Band of Fire. There's a Dalish Promise Ring, although I think those two you can't get. But there's other things like a dagger, the the edge. There's the mm -hmm. Helm of the Deep, which I got, and I slapped it on Sten. Uh, the Lion's Paw, which is a pair of boots, the Lucky Stone. So there's a bunch of different DLC comment or content that you can actually download. It literally took me a couple of minutes. 
works like a charm. So I've got them now and it's a nice little bonus. Um, so yeah, I'll post that in the show notes so that anybody who's interested can actually download and, uh, and slap them into their game as well. It is a bonus that you get that actually the items are pretty good too. So they, they did make a difference. So you were going to say something? Oh no, I was just going to say there is a lot that you can definitely play around with and install. Um, and I'm looking forward to, to, after I'm done with my first playthrough, I'm definitely going to do it for my second. Yeah. So let's move on from there. The, um, the Island of zombie Island, Dr. Ned finally came out for PC. I did pick it up immediately and did some playing on it. And no sooner had it come out that they announced the second DLC that's coming out, Mad Moxie's Underdome Riot. Now, when it first was announced, I read that it was going to be out for all of them at the same time on the 29th of December. However, now there's reports that it's going to be delayed for PC, of course. Who knows whether or not it will be. So I, the, the, Whereas the zombie island is much more about a zone and questing and whatnot, the underdome is going to be more about, um, there's going to be some more kind of cage fighting kind of stuff, which they are, yeah, they're completely changing those mechanics and they're going to make it fairly interesting. But on top of that, you're going to get two extra skill points and you're going to get a bank. So that's where your money is going. It's not really for the underdome unless you like that kind of cage fighting style. Um, but I mean, 10 bucks, you're looking at two skill points and the bank, which if you're only playing the game occasionally might not be worth it. But if you still are loving it and playing it a lot, then yeah, it's definitely worth it. I am actually still playing it. I'm not playing it nearly as much as I used to, but I am. I'm still playing it, and I still do love the game. I know the ending sucks. Luckily, I know that now, so my second playthrough on My Hunter is more about enjoying the questing and, and having fun with it, not so much about rushing through to get to that end. Um, the zombie island has actually been fun. It's it's kind of the same type of humor as with the original game, where Dr. Zed kind of thing with this weird-ass mustache saying, I'm not Dr. Zed, and it's very... Very funny, tongue-in-cheek kind of humor. The um, I don't know if the drop rate has been changed or I just got lucky. After just playing literally for a couple of hours, I already had two or three legendaries and a bunch of epics. It was it was stuff was falling fairly good for me. Um, I I actually found it to be way different than the original in that it was very much like a Left 4 Dead thing where zombies are just popping out of nowhere in some cases, like. they're all around and you do have that shock every once in a while go whoa and then there's one at your feet like those freaking guys where it's just a torso and i saw one of those at a distance and said who the hell would ever be surprised by one of those dead and literally it was like five (laughs) minutes later one of those bastards is at my leg gnawing on my ankle and it was like wow where the fuck did that come from um, and so I I do find that depending on how well you play too, you, it's not like the other one. You cannot rush through shit to get to where you have to be because you will be swarmed by those son of a bitches. So you are planning ahead a lot more everywhere you go and just raking everybody down. But I actually am having fun with it. I haven't finished it yet. Um, not because it's probably that long a content, but simply because, again, I've been playing dragon age a hell of a lot more but i am actually having a lot of fun very same style a lot darker though so it's harder to see everything which is also why those son of a bitches can sneak up on you but uh but no tons of fun i've been liking it i uh i actually downloaded uh the a version of it because i mean i'll I'll be fairly honest i uh got it through certain means that i won't 
tell about. Um, <laughs> but uh, I was I, I like it. I think it's a good step. I think it's a good continuation. I think it's a good downloadable content. But after putting so much time into Left 4 Dead 2 already, um, I definitely prefer Left 4 Dead 2. Um, the reason I do this, I'm playing a siren right now. And uh, as I put in the chat there, phase log plus fire relic equals dead zombies. I don't worry. I don't, I'm not scared. I can rush. I can get them on top of me. I phase walk. They all turn on fire. Then the fire dies out. I come out of phase walk. They go back on fire and they die. And it's, it's, I don't know if it's just me abusing game mechanics, um, which, you know, is very likely because I like to do that. Um, but it's just, I'm not finding it as challenging as I thought I would. Um, that's probably why then. Yeah, and, and it is very good, but I mean, it's also something that, like, you know, anybody who plays a siren, it's a very easy thing. You swap out a relic, next thing you know, you can just light things on fire, you can run through things and around things. Um, soldiers with the turrets, um, I mean, I don't know how much that, you know, really affects it, but I mean, I can see how, like, a sniper, that's great downloadable content for a sniper. Um, you have to plan your moves, you have to, to, if you're a Mordecai, you have to plan what you do, and I can also see a brick having a hell of a time with it, too, because a brick's got to get in close to really do its damage. Um, that said, it is fun. Um, I do think it was a good step, and I do look forward to seeing some more of their downloadable content later, uh, particularly Mad Moxie's Under Dome Riot. Uh, I'm a big fan of the old uh, the old movies, I, you know, Mad Max and stuff like that. And uh, when I saw that, I just I wanted to scream at the top of my lungs, "Who runs Barter Town?" And it made me very happy. Um, I will be playing that, and I think I'm going to like the little more combat-oriented version of it myself. But yes, the the Zombie Island is a very good downloadable content if you haven't picked it up it's worth picking up oh for whatever 10 bucks yeah yeah or you know whatever nefarious means you can it's <laughs> worth it the the thing too here is and and this does not doesn't apply to zombie island because i i am enjoying it but it's certainly not something that's got me hook line and sinker obviously i still haven't finished it however what makes me the thing is is that Left 4 Dead 2 has been out for a little while. I picked it up shortly after it was released. And it's certainly not speaking down about the game. And it is important to note, again, I was so close to the end of Dragon Age Origins that there was nothing stopping me. I was going to play it. But I haven't even finished the first campaign. It hasn't held me. I'm finding it far too similar still to the original. Yeah, there's different quests. There's different this and that. And I know that Rick App like wets his pants just thinking about the damn game, but yeah, okay. really, it's not doing that much for me. Unlike when Borderlands first came out and just blew my mind. Again, it were it not for the crap ass ending and the few little problems along the way, Borderlands would have been much higher in terms of my opinions of where it stands in that type of game, that genre for that genre of the year. But I mean. It still, I find, really pushed boundaries a lot more and was a much better game. I'm still, I'm finding Left 4 Dead 2 is still way too much like the original. Yes, it's an improvement, but it's still, it's nothing original. It's still the same shit. And while I can definitely agree with that, um, you can also make that same argument that every game from every genre, um, from shooters to RPGs like that, are technically just reinventions of a current format. Um, I agree, though, that Left 4 Dead 2 is is more of an improvement of the first one than a reinvention of the wheel. But at the same point, as Blizzard has shown us, as other game companies have shown us, when you've got the wheel perfectly round, why change it? 
So but the big honest. selling point, yeah, the the big selling point with Left 4 Dead 2 was the fact that they introduced a lot more in the way of multiplayer stuff and all the new fluff they added in, like new weapons and new infected, was just a further way to balance the multiplayer when you were doing a versus mode match, and then the different kinds of you know uh, versus matches that you could do, like the scavenge one and whatnot. I'm pretty sure they'll put more DLC for that too. I'm, I'll be honest with you, I I have a lot of fun with it now, but I play it predominantly with other people. I can't. I can't play it at all through a single-player campaign. Uh, what I'm dying for is freaking uh, Episode 3, Half-Life 2. That I think we're all waiting for that one. <laughs> yeah, when pigs fly out of my ass. You were talking about the BIOS that went up on the um, the site as well, the Survivor BIOS. Yeah, I used to, when the first one came out, I was really, really into checking out these BIOS because I thought this was very, very interesting. You know, it was just I was looking up videos on, you know, people doing these little hunter montage things where they leap 5,000 goddamn feet, some ungodly freaking mouse click, and they land, you know, uh, 25 pounds, whatever the hell. I thought it was really cool. I found this one particular video from a user called Laggy Shield, and I found that this person is actually, I'm not sure if they're affiliated with Valve, but this is like the official Left 4 Dead YouTube channel. And on there, you find a lot of information you cannot find anywhere else, specifically all the audio files of the different characters, including the infected, as well as a lot of developer commentary on the survivors, on the infected, from the actors who were doing it and whatnot, you know, the origin of the character, the story of the character. And like, like I said before, just it really, my big thing, you know, like where I really geek out with this kind of like story driven gaming in general is when I see the pieces get together. Like when you see the interpersonal relationships within the characters from Dragon Age Origins that you guys were talking about, you guys are freaking out about that. I mean, like, when I get deeper into that game, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be right there with you because I eat that up. I love that. So when I, when I heard in the original Left 4 Dead, Bill and Francis going back and forth, I kind of wanted to know why they were going back and forth. I saw these bios and I found it, and it's freaking incredible. For Left 4 Dead 2, they've done pretty much the exact same thing, and it's... Really, really interesting to hear some of the over like 18,000 different, you know, lines that have been recorded for these characters, like each one of these characters are like eight minute long videos that are just very, very good to watch or listen to technically. Well, I am looking forward to playing through the rest of it. I did love the first one. I think that had there been more of a difference in terms of something, something different, um, I probably would have played through a lot more of the campaign stuff, but I, I, I am looking forward to getting through it. I actually haven't done any of the multiplayer on it yet either, which again, I know that it's all about the multiplayer. That's what I did with the, the first one once I was done the, um, the, the the campaign. So I am looking forward to it. Right now, it's just a matter of it, it, it certainly was not a priority. Now, in terms of finishing yeah. games as well, Joe, you actually finished the game this week as well. Uh, I have finished several games. Uh, you're talking about the Silent Hill, I'm assuming. Um, and actually, that was my friend Dan was uh, gracious enough to invite me over to our friend Eric's place to watch the end of the game. Um, now we're, we were talking about um, games that tailor themselves to what you choose, and you know Dragon Age does that. You choose a path, you go with it, um, and it goes. And this is a looking at it. Silent Hill does this pretty well, actually. Um, I was talking with my buddy Dan about this a lot, just kind of getting his feel on it because he played it obviously more than, than I've seen. Um, at the beginning of the game, you get a you take a psych eval. You answer questions like you would if you were to go visit a psychiatrist. Um, this is important to keep in mind because the entire game is based around psychology, essentially. Um, it, 
It's for the Wii. It interfaces really well with the Wii, actually. The uh, the control scheme is very intricate, um, and it makes good use of the motion sensors, and as well as just the the setup for the two controllers in general. Um, the game, as you move through it, tailors things like the the monsters that follow you uh, to specific things. Like if you spend more time ogling, um, let's say nudie things, you know, lingerie, nudie mags, uh, girly posters, things like that. Um, the game itself will actually, characters will start taking on a, a sexier appearance. The uh, the actual monsters themselves will take on a sexier appearance when they try to chase you. Um, and it's, it's really intriguing to see a game tailor itself to that. But it's not just like what you do as far as like how, you know, running through a game and like, you know, clicking these options. It's watching what you do. And I think that's a really big innovation as far as gaming is concerned because, yeah, you can make – you can have dialogue choices. You can have set paths that um, you pick an option and it alters things down the line. But, I mean, I think it's a cool concept to see exactly how long you sit on that, that lingerie uh, mannequin and you know how much you stare at it. And then all of a sudden things like that start tailoring the game to you. That's pretty wicked. Um, there are several different endings to the game, and I won't really go ahead and ruin it um, because it's worth playing if you get a chance, and it's worth the playthrough just for seeing the different endings alone. Like, I'm going to be buying myself a copy and uh, playing it just for the sake of going through myself. Um, and, but the adjustable story and the adjustable um, the way the game learns you is only part of it. Um, but one thing I will kind of, I won't say ruin, but bring up, uh, the psych evaluation at the beginning of the game, uh, when, when the game was done and we're all sitting there, we're like, oh, that's awesome, you know, you know good ending. Um, there's a psychiatrist notes, and this isn't really going to ruin anything because everywhere you go, it tells you, you know, what you pick at the beginning affects this part of it. It psychoanalyzes you. It tells you about yourself. It categorizes you and your choices. Now, this seems a little weird and it seems like it might not be good, but our friend Eric uh, sat there and as he's watching his evaluation come up on the screen, we're laughing. We're laughing hysterically and his face is pale. Color drains from his face. His jaw hits the ground and he goes, he's like, that's like 95% accurate. A game pegged him, his, his psychology of him, the player, almost perfectly. And I think that's something huge. I think that's a, a potential breakthrough in gaming that can be used later on for other games as well. And I was floored. I was really, really floored. And especially on a game console like the Wii, you don't really hear have too many games that are that in-depth. That's pretty fucking wicked. Is it really that hard to peg a psych evaluation on a couch potato who looks at porn all day, though? Is there... <laughs> Well, it was these little things inside. <laughs> if that was the case, we'd all be pegged for that. But yes, it is, from all accounts, I actually did some research. It is incredibly accurate for the different people that do play the game. Hmm. I'm kind of thinking if any game would do it, it would be a Silent Hill game now, wouldn't it? That freaking game. I laughed when you first said that it wasn't you that played. It was a buddy of yours because I have never played myself a Silent Hill game, but I've always been in the room for every single one of the games that's been played because one of my friends or the other has had it and they refuse to play it by themselves. I always got to be there with them. That, that, that's just funny that that game, uh, whatever, that whole franchise is kind of one of those mindfuck kind of titles. Well, you have, I mean, you have games, game one, which was phenomenal. You have game two, which was the best, in my opinion. And then yes. you have three when it starts going downhill. Um, and then you have this, which is like, you know, we're bringing it back to the way it should be. 
And I mean, we were doing things like we were just coming up with wacky, zany shit. Like uh, there was one point in time where we were like, fucking Scooby, do that shit. Just run, man, run, you know, going from <laughs> door to door to door. And, then, you know, shit like that worked. Um, it was also interesting. To, like we were like, fuck, it's a Konami game. Do the Konami code, man. Left, right, left, right. And it worked. You know, just the random shit that was working in the game, you know, and as we're just kind of like screaming at him and enjoying ourselves. It is a fun game, and it's a fun game to watch, too, and it's not really often you can say that a game is fun to watch and not necessarily play. So, yeah. Cool. Another um, console title, too, that we were talking about this week was the Dante's Inferno, which I kind of giggled at when I saw that. It's easy for me to giggle because I've got the consoles, (laughs) but if you don't have a PS3 and you want the Divine Edition, you're screwed because the Divine Edition of Dante's Inferno is only going to be coming out on the PS3. Can can I rant? How long is your rant going to be? I I don't know. Basically until I feel that I've, I've excised my anger. Because my glass of wine is empty. Let's 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 break for drinks and then I'll come back and. and well, what you know. I'm saying is, if you want to rant while I'm gone, <laughs> you can do that. <laughs> oh, you know what? Go. Let's go for it. We'll I got do that. To say on this. <laughs> Once you're done talking, you set everybody up for the break. I'll be back and we'll proceed from there. All right. Go for All it. All right. So, if, <laughs> if anybody's been. If anybody's been following Dante's Inferno, you know that it's a it's a game uh, very similar to uh, God of War and its its mechanics. But here's the the cool part about it: it's based off of the actual books. It is based off of Virgil's, you know, the tale of you know, divine story, tragedy, the divine tragedy. And you have your, you know, Inferno, Purgatorio, and Paradiso, and they're they're present here. And it's interesting concept because it's such a, a literary classic, and it's one that's used in in various teaching methods and aids and it's one that's used as an example for good writing and epic writing i mean the man goes through heaven purgatory and hell to find his love essentially and you know take stock of his life enter a game and you think well how's this going to be a game well it's going to be fucking interesting because you're going through you know essentially hell what's in hell well anything you can possibly imagine now, I've been excited about just getting my hands on this game and sitting down and playing it because I like games like that. I like like God of War style games. I like games where it's I'm going through wave after wave of mobs. I like Devil May Cry, things like that. Mm-hmm. My problem here is that the Divine Edition is only for the PS3. And here's why I have a problem with this. It's nothing but a fucking collector's edition. It has an art book. It has a translated poem it has all this nice little cookies that we've come to enjoy from our collector's editions but it doesn't cost any different for somebody who owns a 360 than it does for a ps3 360 doesn't get it you don't get this version of the game it is only available to sony owners that bothers me every other collector's edition out there you you can buy it you have the option to buy it. I can go and buy, you know, the collector's edition of World of Warcraft, any of the expansions for PC and Mac. Doesn't matter if I have a PC or a Mac. It pisses me off too that there's no additional cost. And everybody who's seen all the stuff that's in there agrees that there's about a ten dollars worth of additional content in here. You know, and this is just like price marking up. Oh, it I'm pisses sorry. me off because <laughs> it doesn't cost me any different. It doesn't cost me any less. It doesn't cost me anything but the exact same amount to get less content for my console because I don't own a PS3. Well, th- that- does it piss you off? Well, does it piss you off because of the PS3 thing, or because this is a third-party company that is doing this? A third-party developer. 
both because it's an exclusive to a console, which I can be okay with. I'm okay with exclusive content. The best example when I did my rant is I was talking about Soul Calibur 4. Soul Calibur 4 wasn't exactly the greatest game in the world, but each console had, you know, specific content. You had it on the GameCube, you had Link, you had it on the PlayStation, you had Vader, you had it on the 360, you had Yoda. And it was cool. It was a little cookie for everybody, but it was even. I don't like the fact that a third-party company is giving exclusive rights to a major company like Sony for a collector's edition. You know, if the gameplay was different but equitable, I wouldn't care. If I had the option to get it, you know, on my 360, I wouldn't care. If it cost the PS3 owners either a little more or cost me as a 360 owner a little less, I wouldn't care. But I like collector's editions. I like art books. I like things like translated poems. I like that stuff. And that's stuff that I buy with pretty much every game I purchase. And if I'm spending the money on a game, I, you know, if I have the option, I'll spend the extra 20 bucks, 10 bucks, 15 bucks, whatever it costs to get the extra. I don't have that option. Either I need to go out and spend $300 on a fucking PS3 and then spend $60 on the game to get the additional content or I don't get it. Okay, well, there's this another. There's more salt in the wound because if you notice that Europe only special edition bundle is coming out, the uh, death version, which lets you play as Isaac Clarke, which is the character from Dead Space. You know, same yes. same company, Visceral Games, and whatnot. So not only do you have a collector's edition for Europe only that has a very iconic character for that game company, and now we've got this whole issue going on with the PS3. I don't know, man. It's the whole thing confuses me. I, I really am looking forward to this game. I would love to be able to play this game. I, I might just get a 360 next year simply because of this game. But um, I the more that I look at it, the more I'm kind of looking at the whole vibe of the gaming industry, I'm, I'm screwed unless I triple crown. Unless I have a PS3, a 360, and a high-end computer, you know, I'm, I'm shit out of luck. Yeah, and the, what this reminds me of really is back with the old original console wars when there was exclusives for everything. And it really starts – seems like they're trying to push this – I don't know if it's inadvertently, but it seems like they're almost pushing this this death of cross-platform. Um, when a company sides with one, one console, one company, when a game developer sides with one, um, it, it becomes dicey. I mean – you start getting awesome games, but it forces gamers to spend more money. And then what happens with gamers have to force to spend more money. They just don't buy games sometimes. And as a developer, do you really want that? Do you really want uh, your gamer base to just disappear? I mean, I know there's a lot of people like there's a big cry right now for people that are pissed about it. I mean, people that didn't want to buy a PS3, you know, are saying, well, why don't I get this extra shit? And it would be fine if it was like hard copy stuff. But it's not. It's all digital. You know, I can't even go and buy, like, you know, a collector's edition on eBay for the extra crap or go to a friend who doesn't want it and say, okay, I'll take the book, I'll take the, the poem, I'll take every, like, the scrolls and everything else. Here's 10 bucks. I can't do that. I can't say that. I have to have a PS3. I have to have the PS3 version of the game in order to have it. And that bothers me. That really, really bothers me because it's I don't not- want to be. F- I don't want to be shoehorned. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not that's the thing that kind of gets me about that. I don't really know what's going on with the industry financially, but it's not. It doesn't seem like they're hurting for money to the point where they would do something like this. There's, I I don't see what the reason would be for doing something like this. I mean, you look at both the 360 and the PS3 respectively, and they're pushing almost the identical specs. Every game that has been released on them looks the same. And I'll be dead honest with you, every single video, and I've seen every last one 
of Dante's Inferno, you know, as I'm sitting there like salivating over the damn thing, um, they all look the damn same. So I can't imagine that it's that big of a deal to release exclusively for the PS3, but then it's, I don't know, it, I, I don't understand why a third-party company would pick size like this, you know, like straight up. They have, no. they what do they have, a special contract they're working on with, uh, with Sony? Well, and that's the thing. Um, it, it's, it, it, it reminds me of the Blu-ray HD DVD. Oh, uh, debate where companies like Warner Brothers and companies like Disney were throwing in their lots with one company or another, but not based on, um, you know, like where they want to be. It's based on how much money Blu-ray threw at Disney or how much money HD threw at Warner Brothers. And that's what they made their deals based on. I don't know if it's something similar like this, but like my friend said, uh, Sony is bringing up uh, the rear in terms of market penetration. Uh, so they're paying they're probably paying for exclusive content to get the system sold and that makes sense from a marketing standpoint but i don't want to see that become a common trend because then you start seeing um all the major companies start doing that you know microsoft starts trying to do that in order to bury sony sony starts trying to do that to get their their stuff sold nintendo just does enough so that they can be the second console in the home you know but yeah i mean that's that's where i'm at right now i don't like it I don't know. I'm I'm kind of frustrated because I had to make the decision of either like I they were both actually going for the exact same price right now, which is kind of bizarre for me. But literally, I'm I'm one of those rare individuals that I do not have a console at home. But right now, as it stands, the PlayStation Three and the Xbox Three Six are going to put me back identically. In other words, finances is not going to be a decision a deciding factor between the two games. So the next thing that falls down the line is. You know, the content, the software, like the titles are coming out for it. At this point, I really – I don't know what the hell is going on with that. No – yeah, I'm, I'm still rocking the, the Wii. The N64 is in the closet. I have the Wii out, out here now, and that's pretty much it. But I I, I don't know. I'm, I'm the kind of person out there that I'm like you and like Roger. I'm kind of picky. I don't want to drop 60, 70 bucks on a game. That's ultimately what you're paying. You're paying 50 bucks plus like $7 tax when you, you know pay for it. You're about $60 for a video game, and yet – you know, now you got this kind of situation happening, and that seems like it's going to become the trend. I mean, take a look at Gearbox. Gearbox is coming. You know, uh, PS3, according to uh, uh, DP King, um, they're not getting their downloadable content of Borderlands until the beginning of January. Xbox gets it in December, and PC gets it whenever PC decides it's going to get it. And yeah, that's. You, you, I don't really don't have much more to say about that. That's not going to be unintelligible grunting and screaming. So <laughs> see. <laughs> The way that I'm seeing this is, is much more like the pre-order thing that we're seeing right now, where literally everybody is having their own kind of pre-order for a certain item, which then is prompting more sales from people who have the money to be purchasing more than one uh, versions of a game in order to get all that pre-order content. Once again, folks, I want that Borg Bridge officer. But anyways, I digress. Um, <laughs> this is the same kind of thing. However, in, in a way, it doesn't quite work simply because it's not like you're going to be buying two versions for the same console in order to have it. So it, it's not quite the same, but it is, it's, it's trying to it's it's Sony giving them a little bit of money saying, give us a little something special so that people buy the version on our console. We're not looking for an exclusive, an exclusive, 
that's a big word after a couple of exclusivity. Yes, contract. What we're, I'm not even going to try to repeat it. But what we're but <laughs> here at least give us something, something so that we can try to get people to buy it on our console versus the other kind of thing. So that's how I'm seeing it. If I have the choice of um, game only being available on a specific console versus it'll be available on all of them however each one will have a special bonus and then you got to decide which one it is that still is something better simply because at least it is still available on all the consoles so in this case here sony gave them some cash and said give us something okay so that at least we will have a little something special whoever the distributor is in europe said give us something as well here do this if Microsoft is not willing to say, here's some cash, give us something special. Hey, that's up to them. But it doesn't take away the fact that it's it's a marketing ploy just to get you to buy the con the the the, the version on the um on that console, which everybody has that option, and it'll still be available on all the others. So I'm not quite as insulted. And it's not because I have the consoles and I'm thinking, well, it doesn't matter for me because I can buy it on whichever one. That's not it at all. There's still I, there's still like certain games I prefer playing on different consoles. It's just the fact that at least it is available on all of them, and it's just a bonus whichever one you buy on. And see, if it was I- a bonus, if it was a bonus based on console. Like I said earlier, you weren't here for it. I'd be fine, but it's not. It's not uh, an exclusive content that is something specific to the PlayStation, as and something specific to the 360, and something specific to Europe or something specific to America. And I'm okay with different versions of the game as long as it's equitable. But when it becomes inequitable and it costs the same, then I have a problem. You know, it's like what I was saying with the Soul Calibur 4. Every console got an exclusive character for that console. So if you wanted to play Soul Calibur 4 on the GameCube, you got Link, and you can go and blow shit up with bombs and a bow. If you wanted to play it on the PlayStation, you got Darth Vader, and you can go run around with a lightsaber and, you know, force choke fucking bitches. But that's my problem. My problem is when the games become inequitable between consoles, that is a problem. And it is a slap in the face as a gamer, as a person who goes out of his way to make you know, collector's editions a priority, that's my problem. Well, the um, what you were saying, Roger, the the pre-orders uh, for Star Trek Online, it depends on who you pre-order from, you get a different bridge officer, right? Well, you don't actually get a bridge officer from everyone, you only get a bridge officer from the Amazon pre-order. The um, But you get other content from other pre-orders, right? Or no? Exactly, yeah, yeah. Okay, so you'll, you'll get one thing or the other, you'll get some kind of in-game perk or one. The, the, the kicker, the screw, I guess, with with this in particular is that Visceral Games is basically just saying, okay, well, nobody's getting anything special except for the PS3. And at this rate, you know, like what you posted up earlier was, you know, the European players. And I kind of understand it's a marketing ploy. Yeah, but I mean. Yeah, but again, sucks. whose choice is that? Whose choice is that? It's certainly not that they said, hey, let's do something nice for Sony. Because. At heart, we love them. We think they're good boys, and we just like to throw them a bone. It's cash. So Sony said, here's a briefcase full of money. We want something special. And whoever the distributor in Europe is said, boom, I've got a briefcase here too. The only one that hasn't stepped up is Microsoft to say, here's our freaking, you know, truck full of money give us something even better so basically that's what it boils down to so it's not that they decided that they would give ps3 players something better it's that sony 
said, give us something better. Here's the money for it. I understand from a business standpoint. I'm not saying that I don't. I'm not saying that I don't understand the back end and what's going on there, but I still don't like it. <laughs> as a gamer. <laughs> no, as, yeah, as, as a gamer, as, exactly. As a consumer, as somebody who buys this, who spends the money that I take my time at work earning, it's a shot in the face. I, right. I, I kind of agree. Well, we're we gonna take our five, or we what? should just let this go. And actually, yeah, we'll take our five. I think Joe's had his rant. I had time to walk all the way downstairs for a glass of wine and back up with oh. my knees. So that was quite a rant there. So okay. let's take five, and then we will come back. We still have some uh, quite a few things to touch on, and um, and hopefully be uh, done on time. Actually, for Joe's raid. So we're gonna take That'll five, and we'll be right back, guys. Right, and we're back with For the Lore. Thank you very much for taking the time to go get your beverage and enjoy and relax the second parts. Big shout outs, I have to say, to Tarts for listening. We appreciate it. No, you're not in the audience, but thanks for listening live. Okay, back to some news. This week we found out that there's going to be a couple of sequels coming out. We've got Star Wars The Force Unleashed 2 is going to be coming out. And also Batman, Batman Arkham... Oh my god! In the audience, look at, see, these are big glasses, all right? So I've already downed (laughs) one in a bit, and I'm already like that far in the second one. So bear with me, okay? Batman (laughs) Arkham Asylum 2 is also going to be coming out. So, Joe, you had something to say about Batman. Yes, yes, yes. I have been waiting for them to announce a sequel to it. Um, The game, the original one, was phenomenal. And anybody who hasn't played it, Pick it up. It's cheaper now. You can buy a used copy. It's worth playing through, and it's a ton of fun. It was a great game, and it was a finally a Batman game that did well. It was very. It was written by people who actually wrote the animated series and the comic books. The only thing lacking on it was, you know, a little bit of the ending, which needed to have the sequel into the push. And I have been. I saw the the little the teaser trailer for the the Batman Arkham Asylum two, and all I needed to hear was the laugh of Mark Hamill as the Joker, and I I damn near exploded. I was so happy because it's something it's a franchise that I think will do very well, and I'm very excited to see the second one 
be announced. The thing that you were saying, though, about the first one was that the playthrough is way too fast. Yes, the first game was very, very quick. You could beat it in about eight, nine hours of gameplay if you really kept at it. Um, I hope they extend it out. I don't think, I really, really don't think that they expected the game to do as well as it did. I think they kind of, they put it out there. They they made a good game, albeit a short game. And I think that two is going to be a slight bit longer as they're already folding it in with one. It's a continuation of uh, the plot from the first game too, which is also cool because it feels very comic bookish, feels very episodic. Um, I just hope that it's longer. I think what they need to do is they start need to start dropping the price on them as well. Now that Arkham Asylum is the the price has been dropped, it's much more reasonable to pick it up, knowing Mm -hmm. that it's not going to take that long before you're done. Um, I almost picked it up when it was on sale during the Black Friday. Uh, Steam had the entire weekend full of sales, and at one point it was on sale for I think what twenty five bucks or something like that, and I came very very close to picking it up, but that's when I picked up Champions Online instead. Right. But uh, yeah, no, at 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 a Lower price point, it is definitely worth picking up. I still think, though, at full price, that it is far too expensive for that little bit of game time. If it was a game where in the you could expect some DLC, so that it's just the framework and you'll be able to keep playing the same game that you paid for, that's not quite as bad. But that's not the case here. So to buy it used or later on once the price drops, then yeah, it's definitely worth it. And that's what I'm waiting to see. I'm waiting to see how it changes compared to the first one. Yeah, interesting. Also, this week there was some Bioshock Two news. Uh, yeah, as a matter of fact, um, they redid uh, just part of their ongoing media blitz. Remember, the game comes out at the beginning of February, so this is kind of like the lifespan. We have another month of crazy, just massive spamming videos and other media and whatnot. So they're kind of like they open the floodgates and they remove the uh, the NDA and all that. So people are getting all this information out. They redid the Cult of Rapture fan page. I guess it's their like their official fan page blog um everything there and they have been putting up a lot of artwork i mean a lot of artwork which is very very impressive to put up there and um more importantly they've actually tried to go a little bit more in depth as to the multiplayer uh they have this thing called the faces of rapture right which is all the playable characters that you play all the characters you can play as when you're doing multiplayer uh, including the special edition ones you can only get for like the ps3 version the xbox version the pc version etc um those have a little backstory to them and it shows uh, artwork of them before they were spliced up and then after they were spliced up and it's very very cool very bristle looking but uh, one thing i wanted to ask you guys about in particular since you know this this podcast is basically about story-driven gaming and one that we know bioshock is a very story-driven game uh multiplayer i'm interested and i'm very happy with what they're doing is basically um, the multiplayer for Bioshock 2, I'll just even quote it directly, goes, it's 1959, which is a full year before the events of the original Bioshock took place. Now, there's a civil war has broken out over Adam. Uh, Atlas and Andrew Ryan are fighting over control of the precious resource, but uh, this one company, Sinclair Solutions, which you, these are all things that should be ringing bells in your head if you play the original, mm-hmm. um, is the company at the forefront of making plasmids. They're the company that has produced all of these plasmids. They're the, they're, they're the ones. you know. They're the guys. They're the R&D. So as long as they have willing civilians that want to splice up, the business will continue to boom is the way the tagline rolls. But ultimately, the role, if you want to do a role play about it through the multiplayer, is you are one of these citizens right at that New Year's, a year before Bioshock 1, 
during the big civil war where the city is pretty much, you know, all humanity and society and civilizations just collapsing in upon itself and people are getting jacked up left and right with different splicing, you know, plasmids and going at it with each other. Now, do you think that's a good way to approach multiplayer for a game like this? I mean, could you imagine a multiplayer aspect for Dragon Age Online, you know, where they did like a deep prequel or something like that, you know, could you actually do a successful storyline to a multiplayer game? Well, in this case here, the, well, your example of Dragon Age, it just wouldn't fit to have a multiplayer. It's a completely different style of game in terms of gameplay and whatnot. Like, the, the multiplayer works for Bioshock in terms of the game mechanics and, and everything like that. The game is designed in such a way that, yeah, you can create something like this. You can even make it fit into the, um, the type of story that it is so that it actually makes sense and things like that. And there you can introduce a lot of cool little gadgety things to make you enjoy it all that whether or not it it's something that you would like to see in the game myself no i i i don't want to see it. in my opinion it cheapens it and the time that they spent designing this they could have spent on the game doing even more or something like that i don't know i just and i could be wrong maybe when it comes out i will have a blast playing the multiplayer but i know that looking at it now i really really am not crazy about it joe actually i i think it's a very interesting approach to it and uh the the fact that it's a lore based multiplayer um that friggin intrigues the hell out of me and the background that they're choosing for yeah it's stuff that we know from the first game uh and it is ridiculously uh cool way of approaching it i mean how many times have we played a multiplayer game and there's you're just going around shooting each other and there's really nothing else um but in this case it's like it, it's actually something out of the story it's something out of the uh, the actual past of the game and i think that's a really nice way to approach it does it work for everything no i don't think so is it a little extra cookie absolutely do i think it's going to cheapen the gameplay or the story behind bioshock 2 no. If anything else, I think it's doing nothing but enriching the story because it also affects uh, essentially the events that led up to you know, Bioshock 1. And I think it's really, really cool. Again, I don't think it's going to be happening for every game, but I think it's a good move. I like it. I'm, an, I'm all in favor of it. Yeah, there was one thing about Bioshock 1 that even now I'm still playing through the damn thing. You know, I'm I'm almost towards the end of it now. My like my fifth playthrough on the original. And one thing that always struck me, no matter how many times I've gone through it, is when you enter Rapture and you're going through the whole city, and the whole place is bombed to hell. It's like it's really destroyed. And the way that things are kind of strewn about, it looks as if somebody just had a New Year's party. The whole city just finished having New Year's, and right in the middle of the New Year's celebration, you know, essentially World War Three breaks out. Right. So it, to me, it was kind of interesting what the kind of taking with the kind of levels that you will play in and whatnot, in particular in the different play modes and, and all that kind of stuff. That's kind of like more of a throwback, you know, like you know, throwing the Bioshock 1 players a bone. Now, another cool thing is um, I, I know Sammy in the audience, he knows uh, Modern Warfare 2's multiplayer with the whole, you know, you get kill streaks or you level up experience, you get certain perks and whatnot. They have a similar system with this Bioshock 2, but it actually seems to make sense now. In that if you're a splicer, you get a lot of kills, you harvest a lot of atom and whatnot, then the game will award you with higher levels of different perks, different kinds of uh, plasmids that you can you know, put in there that are more powerful to enhance your plasmids. You specialize in certain plasmids, and uh, eventually if you get a certain 
kill streak, then a big daddy suit will spawn, and you know you go and you get the big daddy suit, and you become a big daddy in the multiplayer. And I don't know the whole the whole concept is actually pretty cool, especially the the capture the sister thing, which is two factions of splicers fighting over a little sister, and you have to pick her up. It's like a capture the flag you know mechanic, but you pick up this little sister, and you know on your screen your hands are holding a little child, and she's hitting you, biting you, screaming and taunting you, and telling you how the big daddy's gonna come and kill you. You know that that's to me, I thought that was really, really damn cool. You don't see that in multiplayer gaming at all. Yeah, actually, I saw that video, too. It was fairly cool. I was going to say, Rick, you touched on something really cool there, too, that I was thinking about. It really tells you how some of the fucked up shit in Bioshock 1 came to be, and I think that's the coolest part of it. Well, moving on from there, we're going to touch just on one more topic before we close out for the night. There was a poll at Crispy Gamer where they were talking about the various games of the year, the decade, everything else. They had a poll. We're only going to touch on the top one for now because, again, we're going to be touching on all of our our opinions of the various games of the year and decade in the coming weeks. It should be actually a lot of fun. Now, Mm -hmm. this year they talked about the game of the decade, period. Period. Game of, not RPG, not MMO, Game of the Decade. And it came up between Half-Life 2 and World of Warcraft. And this was a, the polls there were for Half-Life 2, 10,806 votes. For World of Warcraft, there were 10,000 676 votes that's a margin of 130 votes like they said six tenths of a percentage between the two but half-life 2 won for them as game of the decade so of course (laughs) big voice there speaking obviously you agree I agree. I just it made me laugh because when I first when I first read the article, I thought, yeah, the fanboys of WoW.com are calling Florida for a fucking recount. But um, <laughs> no, I kid, I kid. You know, you got two really, really, really good games. But personally, I love the lore and WoW. But Half Life Two, I, I'm playing this game again. How old is Half Life Two? Really, really thick back. Half Life. Yeah, I'll tell you, it's. I actually have it in the wave that I created for the games that are coming up. Okay. So, but anyways, uh, it's been a number of years. I think it's 2004. 2004. Okay. We got Half-Life so, came out in 2004. So Ooh. did WoW. They came out at the same time. Well, why, why do I feel that like Half-Life 2 has been out? Oh, probably because Half-Life 1, it's got the pedigree with Half-Life 1 and yeah. the continuation of that story. That's probably why I feel so attached to it. But dude, play through Half-Life 2 again over and over and over again and it's still like by the time that you finish episode two i'm sitting there about to punch out my freaking flat screen monitor and i'm gonna drive down to valve and put a gun to the dude's head to put out episode three finally because i want to see this (laughs) ending i mean i know everybody feels the same you know you feel the same about that freaking ending yes in terms of a game let's just play devil's advocate to have a little bit of fun with you right now in terms of the impact that a game has had on the population in terms of 
how the game has lived on. Like you're saying that, yes, you're still playing Half-Life 2 and mm-hmm. there are a number of people that are still playing it through again and again. However, you cannot even begin to compare it to the amount wow. of people that are still playing, still rolling alts, still rolling the same uh, kinds of alts on different servers because they still, still enjoy well. that game. Exactly. Still enjoy WoW. So in terms of not just the impact that it had on the industry, because of course that was huge, but also in terms of the groundbreaking mechanics that it used for MMO, in terms of everything that it did to become as large as it did. It didn't get that many million subscribers because of, you know, for no reason. It did. It, it's because of the things that it did do well. It did. That's not to say it's not without its faults, of course, mm-hmm. but in terms of the impact that it had, not just on the industry, but on gamers. Can you honestly say that you think that Half-Life 2 had more of an impact than did well? I think they well, Joe, 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 say I'll I'll be right. They both had very strong impacts on the gaming industry in different capacities. WoW paved the way for mainstream MMOs. It it really it it started the the Pax Romana of MMO gaming. Half Life Two was really an example of what a a a story driven first person shooter can really do with very interesting game mechanics added on, and that in of itself. Um, they both they both are incredibly powerful forces in the gaming industry. They just went different ways. I would have to agree in that this pairing in particular of putting these two games against each other is the most unfair equal thing I've ever seen in any like as far as you know judging and competition and whatnot. Because it blows my mind, Half Life Two and the whole Half Life universe and the storyline and everything is just an amazing game. I mean. It, it was f- the most anticipated fucking sequel. Everybody was going nuts when they heard about it. I remember walking through Best Buy many years ago, and I see this huge hardcover book. It was just full of all the art and production notes and all this other stuff of Half-Life 2, and I was floored by it. On the same page, you look at WoW. WoW has changed the face of all gaming. Just screw MMOs alone. Just gaming in general has never been such a mainstream media as it is now. Because of World of Warcraft, let's be honest here, we're all adults, World of Warcraft has pretty much made it so that you're playing the video game and more so than it was before, it's much more accepted, I guess to say. We're not fully there yet, but we made very, very big strides, you know, because of WoW. And I find it funny, just one last thing I wanted to point out, man, is that, you know what, I look at the World of Warcraft and I think, World of Warcraft as a movie, I'm, you know, I'm not sold. Half-Life 2 as a movie? In a fucking instant, in an instant, I get yeah, but we're not fucking we're not talking about movies though. Yeah, but know, you can look at a lot of games that you could say, "Oh, that'll make a great movie." That doesn't make no, it but a you good look game, at it, like, Yeah, it's it. There's no arguing that they're both amazing, incredible games. There's no argument that they both had an impact. And I will say this much: WoW has had a bigger impact, in my opinion, across a more broad, more general audience. Hands freaking down. Hell, I'm still playing WoW now, but. I mean, I don't know. It's just it, there's so many different things that I could see. Half Life Two seems to be more of a gamers only kind of thing, because I don't see anybody who doesn't play games, you know, talk about Half Life Two. And yet I see WoW as it's the world of fucking Warcraft. You know, I mean, you got BlizzCon, you got WoW merchandising coming out of your the side of your head. It's like there's WoW stuff everywhere. So I don't know. This it's really it's too close to call. That's why I think there's a hundred a hundred vote margin 
And no, I mean, they're both incredible, incredible games. Well, we're going to actually wrap up at this. However, before we go, and, and this is not to say that either of these are actually going to be our picks, but in terms of this vote here, Half-Life 2 versus WoW, what are what is a snap decision? What is your pick, Rick? Half-Life 2. Joe? Half-Life 2. Yeah. I would actually have to go with WoW. And we can talk about that in the coming episodes when we're talking about the impacts of the games over the course of the last decade. And actually the decades episode is going to be in two weeks. Next week is going to be the year in review. So with that, we're going to actually wrap up the show. We're going to do the post show in a couple of minutes. Joe is going to go off for his raid. Thank you very yep. much, Joe, for your contributions. Everyone in the Boys. audience, I'd like Good to thank you know. for uh, sticking around. If you want to stick around for the post show, you're more than welcome to. Dragon Age Origins is quickly being hailed as one of the best stories told in the last decade, and with very good reason. The writing team at BioWare has done a great job to weave an intricate story with plot, intrigue, romance, betrayal, and all the other opinions that you would need for a fantastic story. In this case, they are led by lead writer David Gator. A Gator is a veteran in this field, and has such accolades as... Baldur's Gate 2, The Shadow of Om, Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic, and Neverwinter Nights. The story of The Stolen Throne is a prequel to the events of the game Dragon Age Origins. It follows the time before Ferelden was in the hand of Ferelden's and talks about the time when Orlesians had taken the throne by force. It follows the development of young King Merrick. After watching his mother's brutal murder and fleeing from traitors of his own people, he runs into Air Logan, who's part of a band of Ferelden outlaws. The two don't like each other off the bat. The story follows Merrick as he grows up, being forced to run and flee, making friends with Logan at much his own dismay. He becomes a man learning life's lessons. The story draws you in and makes you feel for this character. You really understand what has happened his loss, his growth as a human. And Gator does a fantastic job showing that emotion in such a way that it isn't cheesy, it's sincere. You also get to meet other key figures in the origins story and lore. Logan for prime example of this. You see Logan as he is, how he was raised. You see who he is as a person, and you're drawn in to show his personal sacrifice and what he feels he has to do. The story is very well written. It draws you in with such rich lore and background. Every character is well voiced. The interactions between them is honest and sincere. And reading it is something that you would read more of a historical account rather than just a novel. But that's what it is. It is a fantastic novel. Gator's story draws you in to such levels that I couldn't put the book down. I'm an avid reader and I have read many many stories in the fantasy genre and very few have taken me by such surprise. I expected the Stolen Throne not to be as deep as it was, but there are levels within this story that even I couldn't imagine. Every character is well thought out. Every character's history and background and interaction is fantastic. 
Davy Gator has put together such a story that I could talk about it for hours. But without ruining anything else, I'll simply suggest that you pick up the book. Even if you're not a fan of the game, this novel is fantastic. The story is compelling and rich, and I cannot speak well enough about it. My name is Joe, and I am from For the Lore. This is the continuation of the tale of Loder. The full story and its predecessors can be found at wayofthetotem.com. Loder sat at the bow of the North Spear, his cloak pulled tight against his sides and hood pulled close. The trip from Darkshore to the wetlands took no time at all. There were no incidents this time like the trip to Darkshore. The druids of Aberdeen had declined Loder's request to speak with the spirit of the well, citing that they feared any diminishing of the spirit's attention from keeping the newly sighted light at bay. Loder graciously accepted their decision and let it be at that. Their time in Menethil Harbor was short. Yeva had dropped off her satchel of spoils with the local garden and aspiring mages, and kept a very modest amount for herself. And never be taken more than I need to be getting by. It wouldn't be fair with all the people cold and hungry out there. They've been in it more than I do, she said, when Loder saw, saw her take such a modest amount and looked at her skeptically. They ate a small meal and drank ale at the inn while waiting for the North Spear to arrive. It was about this time that Loder realized exactly how much he honestly missed company. Yeva talked a great deal about, well, everything. She asked questions about Loder's people, and a lot about shamanism. Seems it was the first time she had encountered one long enough to discuss things with. Loder happily regaled the stories of his people and their adoption of shamanism. Loder, in turn, asked about the dwarves. Yeva was all too happy to oblige. She told him the tales of a race hewn from stone, children of the earth or groundlings, she referred to her people. She stopped after the War of the Three Beards. Something about that time weighed on her. Loder could see it in her eyes. She didn't dwell on it long enough for him to press the issue, so he let it go for the time being. When the North Spear pulled into the dock to resupply, Yeva was out the door of the inn like a shot from a cannon. Loder paid for the meals and ale and walked out after her slowly. As he approached the giant steam vessel's dock, he saw Yeva leap off a pile of crates on top of another dwarf. The pair wrestled around on the dock for a few minutes, with Yeva winding up on top and the other eating his beard. Slog! Yeva shrieked. I've told you, you sorry sack of dwarf meat, that you'd never be getting the best of your older cousin. She gave the dwarf locked below her a hearty punch in the shoulder. I yield! I yield! The man tried to yell through the whiskers he almost swallowed. Yeva sprang off a slag and then offered him a hand. When he was on his feet, the two embraced in a bear hug that only dwarves could give one another. Loder smiled at the sight. With so much evil and wrong in the world, genuine affection and happiness was in short supply. Yeva broke away from her cousin. Been a dog's age since I've seen ya. Heard you'd be tending hands on the North Spear here. Aye, cousin, but not for long. This be me last trip up north. 
have joined up to be part of the Skybreakers crew. They've been needing skilled mechanics, and me two hands be itching for something new. Eva's shoulders slinked down, and her posture deflated some. She looked fiercely into Slag's eyes. He promised you'd never do something so stupid. You promised your mother, dear more than rest her soul, that you wouldn't put yourself in a harm's way more than you needed. Slag shot away from her penetrating stare. I know, but they promise it'll only be a skeleton run, that we be seeing no combat. But it be a skeleton run round the demon seat! Yeva cut Slag off, her grip on his shoulder tightening, creasing his leather. Loder walked up behind her and placed his hands on her shoulder tightly. He could feel her shaking. Whether it was rage or pain, he didn't know. He didn't dare ask. She would tell him when the time was right. Yeva let go of Slag's shoulder and choked down the beginnings of tears. Well, enough of that then. My friend and I have been eating passage to the fjord. You'll get us a boat this run. It wasn't a question or demand, but a simple statement. Slag, still avoiding her eyes, nodded and turned back towards the ship, hustling to leave the scene. Yeva squeezed Loder's hand and then shrugged it off. They walked towards the boat in silence. Yeva's normal demeanor returned by the time they reached the gangplank, and they could see her cousin wave them on board. They walked up the ramp, and Yeva immediately disappeared below deck. Loder thanked the captain and Slag and made his way to the bow of the boat. This was his destiny, and he would watch it come head on. The trip to the north was longer than Loder had imagined. He sat in his place on moving under the night's starry sky. He was meditating when he felt a presence lower itself next to him on the bow. He opened his eyes and saw Yeva plopped down in a thick fur coat and woolen boots. She looked up to the sky and sighed. <sighs> I'm a bit of an outcast among doors, you know. Me blood is mixed, and there be some who think in it enough to keep me on the outskirts. She sighed again and propped herself up, looking around making sure no one's prying ears were around. My mother was a wild hammer, and my father was a dark iron. Back when all were united under the High King Modimus Anvalamar, they fell in love. The king died, and then came the War of the Clans. Kinsmen set against kinsmen. My father was killed trying to wrestle my mother to safety, the clan Wildhammer thinking he had turned to kill his wife. My mother didn't know I was in her belly. When I was born, the High Thane of Clan Wildhammer kept me father's blood secret for the rest of the to keep the peace. Until one of his court found out and demanded me blood. My mother, she stole me away before they could do anything to harm me. The Thane helped her, I'm told. She made it to Ironforge before she fell ill. The bronze spirits ever intent on uniting the clans again welcomed us. They didn't tell anyone wherein we came from, but made sure we were cared for. My mother passed. A family took me in. Slag's mom and pop. His father died when the first horde came. Grief crippled his mom. Before she passed, she made Slag promise to be staying out of the front line. He swore. The little bastard swore he wouldn't. 
Now he is. I guess I shouldn't have been upset. I know he'd been wanting to want more. I just pray shapers he'd be lucky as he is heady. At least then I'd be knowing he'll be alright. Eva chuckled weakly at her attempt at a joke. I I don't have friends, and he's the closest I've got to the family. Just didn't want him to be dead. Or worse. She sighed heavily. I I don't know even why I'm telling you all this. Loder reached into one of his pouches and pulled out a small piece of paper folded neatly. Two tin cups and a water skin. Eva watched as he poured some water into each cup and then carefully unfolded the paper, revealing an amount of swift thistle. He placed a small amount of leaves in each cup and water and folded the paper back up. After replacing the water skin and packet of leaves, he handed Eva one of the cups. Gold tea I didn't think I'll save from the chill here. Loder smiled. Trust me, he said evenly. He reached to his side and pulled one of the totem markers out, placing it on the deck of the ship. He willed it to life. Up sprang a totem of fire, its warm, ruddy glow casting a pale orange and red light over the pair. He smiled and placed his tin cup between two of the prongs at the top, motioning for Yeva to do the same. I understand Swift Thistle is used to recover one's energy quickly and increase aggression slightly. That is, of course, in its concentrated form. When used lightly, it has a calming effect. Help keeps one moving body at singular pace, and head, heart, and soul can be brought to rain with just the right amount. He looked over the tin cup and then back to Eva. I've been told shaman give a sense of confidence to those near them, similar to how being near a warrior of the light brings you comfort and makes you feel safe. People tend to naturally feel more bold around us, and they tend to be more open about things than they normally would be. Don't worry, though, I won't repeat anything of what you said. It is between us and the elements. He picked up both cups and then called back the totem to his side. He handed one cup to Eva and took a sip from his. I have seen many things. Families torn asunder. Loves lost. Unimaginable horrors wrenched from the twisting nether. I never really got to know my parents either. My family was destroyed when the orcs marched on Shathrath City. My father, or so I'm told, was a warrior of great virtue. My mother the kind of hero that fought with bow and beast. They died defending their people. While they died what many would be considered a hero's death, I pity every day that I did not grow up under their tutelage. But when I was old enough, I set out in Ubuntu. I knew the shaman could speak with the spirits since past this world, something my people have been doing in honest for a long time. He said he saw a spark in me, a connection to the primal spirits of life itself. He said he saw the same spark in my mother. He asked me if I wished to study the ways of the shaman as one of his pupils. I accepted, and from then on I was forever destined to walk this road. I can feel my parents looking down on me. I can feel the love that they have even now. The hope they have for me. 
I can feel them even now, and I can assure you, Yeva, that your ancestors, that your mother and father, watch over you as well. He sipped his tea, feeling it warm his throat on the way down. You should rest now. You've had an eventful day, and tomorrow's light brings us to the fjord. Grand adventure awaits us. Yeva smiled honestly and down the rest of her tea. Yet no, for an overgrown goat, you're okay. She laughed a little and handed Loder the tin cup. Back below the deck she went. Loder turned back to watch the rolling seas. Tomorrow he would step foot in Northrend. Tomorrow would bring him one step closer to destiny. There was a certain amount of comfort in that. All right, everybody in the audience, thank you very much for joining us for the show. Appreciate having you there as always. The show on uh, next week is going to be, as we said, the games of the year. Different topics in terms of whether it's best graphics, best gameplay, best first-person shooter, best RPG, whatever. We're going to have a lot of fun with it. If you actually have any kind of suggestions in terms of different uh, categories you'd like for us to touch on, don't hesitate to actually email them to for the lower at gmail.com or hit me up at Twitter. It is for the lore, of course. Or you can let uh, Joe know at LeJurzJ or you can let uh, Rick know at Spoon... Is he Spoon God or Spoon Wolf? Spoon Wolf on Twitter. And uh, so it should be an interesting show. The show after that is going to touch on the games over the decade. Same thing with that. If you've got any interesting stories of games over the decade that have moved you a lot and you think that you'd like to maybe do a little something for the uh, show in terms of a little audio feature or whatever, let us know. I'd be interested to actually put a whole bunch of different little segments in the show just for a little bit of fun, something different. We could do that while I'm recording so that you guys don't have to record something specifically. Just have a headset mic handy and then we can uh, have a little bit of fun with that. So that's going to be it. Like I said, for tonight, we will talk to you guys next week. Take her easy. <laughs>
It's loaded. <laughs> no, we gotta clean the fish tank. Holy crap, we gotta feed the fish. The fish hit level 10, yeah! <laughs> Don't worry, Shut they're, they're muted. <laughs> no, they're not. Once you get the duct tape out, that's when they're muted. <laughs> Till then, there's still potential. <laughs> Freaking five. elbows itchy. What the hell? Yeah, I see you scratch. I'm like, what does it matter with you? You're elbows freaking out itchy. there on your elbow. It's itchy. Well, I don't know why. His <laughs> knees don't work, so he had to figure out something else. Well, <laughs> I don't know what the hell, man. Okay. Roger, you got to give Tart a shout out. So Tart's is listening. Tart's, are you listening right now while I'm speaking? If so, Twitter. Twitter. <laughs> Say, Roger, you my big daddy. Be right back, vomiting. That hurt. All right. Oh, this is funny. Oh. We're skipping that. Oh. oh. My good luck and my wishes to you and Ice Crown, and hope that you don't get frostbite on your ass. <laughs> the hell are oh. you doing? Freaking Pilates? Alistar, yeah, he, yeah. Like, Alistar left wearing the dude's fucking armor or some shit. And, like, he was gone. Like, no longer in the party or some crap. I mean, that... Sucks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then, I yeah. I just like <laughs> I just dropped all this effort on this freaking amazing armor. I gave it to this dude. I pissed the dude off. He left. I'm, what? Come well, back and let's give me the playback. You know. And it is Zed. You guys just don't know how to pronounce your letters properly. That's why we're here as Canadians. We take pity on your piss poor education that doesn't teach kids how to pronounce um, their letters properly. So yeah. It's Zed. Take that, bitches. Later. That you don't understand, and you're sad.